Welcome to Lost Link, the podcast with Muff Barber and Yogi Nickerson, where CL data is disabled and no topic is off limits about unmanned aircraft or the United States Air Force. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other federal agency. This podcast contains some profane language and is not suitable for all audiences. He's got that steely, no. that steely yeah. eye. No, uh, you're a steely-eyed missile man over there. Oh, uh, nice. And the guy makes the uh, <laughs> fits the square peg into the round hole. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. He's um, steely-eyed missile. Ooh, man. Boyer's pretty nice. good. Pretty Boyer's a specialty for the the quoting the movies. All right, perfect. Um, so he's this one not so much, but yeah, we can get in some other ones. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. What I thought was like my favorite quote or my favorite scene from Apollo 13 yeah. was actually from. Right uh, the right stuff, yeah. <laughs> I was like, shit, I have totally got this movie backwards. Um, well, what comes to mind is that Lieutenant Dan finally got to be an astronaut. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that in a minute. Because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're still, we still have not gone Lost Link. Yeah, it's true. I don't know, that's a, that's a, that's a shtick. It's, yeah. In reality, we're more... Uh, we're more focused when we're actually lost link. Yeah, when we're yeah. completely lost link, like yeah, yeah, not focused on it at all. Yeah, and then uh, is when we're theoretically, uh, or at least with the conceit of what we're doing when we are on mission before we go lost link, this is actually when we're just BSing. So yeah, so we, we're so okay. So no, it works. I'm so just, so it's just funny. We'll, we'll we'll talk more uh, at the end of the day because I have I have some thoughts. You have some thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the intros? About, it's meta level. Yeah, okay. meta level. Yeah, whatever. Stuff, so. Um, An above the clouds perspective. Uh, a little throwback there. Yeah, a little throwback to the to the blunt bitching. The blunt bitching, the, the front office. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, 20th, 20th tax squadron front office. Yeah. 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 The, the, I'm sure there's some fun stories there. The hurtling of fiery squirrels and. But uh, yeah, so the we've been lost link for a minute, I would say. Okay. Yeah. 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 Good enough. We don't need a long and long and hard uh, storylined intro so here. So um, to speak. Yeah, long and hard, so to speak. The um, but since we're lost link, I figured we should talk. Uh, I hear you want you want to talk. Um, put this on me. Apollo thirteen. Yeah, a tiny bit, a tiny bit. With us today, we have a uh, Joshua Dollar Boyer. Um, Currently the 9th Attack Squadron, formerly of the 20th Attack Squadron. But, you know, once they say, what's the Marine thing? Once a Marine, always a Marine. You yeah. think the Hounds have the same thing? Yes. You guys carry a, a little Hounds uh, I do. name tag underneath your flight, your name I tag? Do. Like I all do. those queers at the, at the 17th? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all have one. But no. I do not. There's no room on an A2CU for any of that stuff. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, Dollar, you heard my... My piece on A two CUs. No, I Yogi's don't think I have. uniform of oppression. I I have. Talked about it very briefly with uh, Mike and how I think that's the 
I wear that that particular uniform as a as an acknowledgement that the save my aviation is different than your aviation. Okay. So I've worn a flight suit since 2017. <laughs> since they were issued uh or maybe it was 2018 when I went to LUD and I got those uniforms for the first time. Yeah. But anyway, fun stuff. Um there's a rebuttal to that whole conversation from myself, but I, Muff just wants to glide past that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to glide past that. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, so the, uh, that's episode five for those of you who want to know uh, about it somewhere towards the end of the episode. Uh, I don't have any specifics, but today we want to talk about Apollo 13. Um, and I presume the goal here is to demonstrate that Apollo 13 is actually an air power movie. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, well, and then it touches on a lot of the things that we've been talking on on this podcast yeah. about the progression of air power, its commoditization, okay, um, and all kinds of things related. That's to interesting. That. Yeah, so I I actually think Apollo thirteen, while a great movie, and we'll, we'll, I think we're going to bring in some more historical references as well, especially like as it relates to differences with the movie. Yeah, but like the movie as a standalone piece about air power yeah uh, and like what the movie itself is saying i think uh despite it being cool if you're if you're really thinking about it it's a uh it's a, it's actually kind of damning in a lot of ways for where air, air power is going like i actually think it's a it's a movie that if you really thought about it most pilots won't like All right. so so i watched yeah i reviewed this movie yeah. um and I'm not convinced that this is an air power movie, and I'm I'm very interested in this thesis. So, uh, no, I I think it's not an air power movie, but I think it's a it because the in the way that it's not an air power movie is precisely why we need to talk about it in relation to air power and like remote air power and the future of yes, aviation. Yes, interesting, all, all of that stuff. All right, cool. Uh, so we'll do that. Um, maybe we should talk about how. Apollo 13 starts, right, prior to Apollo 13. Sure. Right? So the air power genesis of rocketry in space and how that is all based upon air power. Yeah. Well, and before, go. Yeah, before I, uh, yeah, I, I think, like, the at least in the opening of the movie, it's very clear that it's, in a lot of ways, a spiritual successor to the right stuff okay and is touching on a lot of the same questions and uh aspects that that movie has to do with the the handing over the keys from the pilots in the in the jet age like air force pilots flying in yeah. aviation to this other more technocratic thing right and there's references to pete conrad in the beginning I don't know if you remember that dollar, but uh, there's, they reference Pete Conrad going up uh, when Jim Lovell's like looking up at the night sky early on, like and thinking he's going to be on Apollo 14 and yeah, you know, and g getting Rolexed again, right? Um, and Pete Conrad is the he's in the first chapter of the right stuff, and he's the main character there, right? So the and and there's a lot of other kind of touch points there where they talk about pilots and things in the right stuff. So, um, but we can get into that too. But yeah, I think the right stuff that transition to the how air power in the early uh space race with the mercury program and rocketry how all that fits together uh it is exactly where the, where we need to start so yeah all right so 
the American space race and the whole, I mean, I, the American space race, uh, the American and Soviet space race starts in World War II, right? Yeah. So Werner von Braun is a, just a German dude interested in rocketry, having a good time uh, yeah. there in Germany, and war kind of starts up around him, right? Um, he's a man looking for funding, and since the Nazi party takes power, and if you want to get funds out of, you know, the government at that time, then you probably needed to be a Nazi. So he signs up and says, uh, yes, I too believe in blonde haired, uh, yeah. Blonde haired women, you know, yeah. Sigal, Sigal, whatever, whatever you want me to say. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> take me to your lab. Hey, uh, Adolf Hitler, you're a, you don't have blonde hair, nor do you have blue eyes. Yeah. What gives? Um, so he joins the, the Nazi party and starts seeking out uh, uh, funds to build his, you know, do his rocketry stuff. Um, kind of toils around doing his thing until, you know, things get desperate. And in the late 40s, they're happy to throw a whole bunch of money into this V2 rocket program. And he's finally like, fuck, yes, this is my time to shine. And so they build this V2 rocket. And it's the first thing to actually, like, leave the atmosphere. Uh, for those who don't know, the V2 rocket would basically launch vertically go up uh, high it would clear the atmosphere and then come back in i guess you couldn't really call it you know it wasn't really accessing space but at that time it was going you know 30 something miles up and then coming back down to hit london yeah. brussels whatever right he real as the, as the war continues uh the soviets and the americans are pushing closer and closer to berlin and it just becomes obvious that the nazi reich is not going to last and this guy who's not Probably not a true believer, right? He he is surrounded by some engineers, and then there's an entire force of uh, German uh, army, basically security, right, that are operating on this, this order. Like, if this dude tries to leave, shoot him. <laughs> Fucking kill him. Kill anybody who's trying to escape out of this program because they're going to take that knowledge to the enemy, and that's not going to be useful for us uh, if we want to continue winning this war, right? So he's got to figure out some means of escape. And... You got two choices, right? The Soviets uh, or the Americans. And the Soviets are known for kind of being shitty to POWs, and the Americans a little less so. Uh, we actually packed our guys up and moved them, our POWs up and moved them over to Alabama and the whole South, set up whole villages, and like they're hanging out and having a good time. We just basically removed them from the war, and a lot of them elected to stay after the fact. So he's aware of this, and he figures out some means to escape, and I don't know the details of that, but he does, and he surrenders to the Americans. So this is how we get uh, Von Braun, and from the movie uh, The Right Stuff, there's a lot of talks about our Germans are better than their Germans. Well, this is how we got one of the best Germans, is that they were leaving the Nazi party and leaving Germany to surrender to America because of the way the Soviets... Yeah, there's a little bit of an aside to that in the actual movie Apollo 13, where when they're getting their... Uh they're getting suited up to go on there, and it's like all the medical doctors. Yeah, are he makes the, the, the like, comment. Yeah, and the the medical doctors are all German. He's like, yeah, za, German, you put the, you put this on me, and you know, da, da. so it's like, yeah. <laughs> yes, they were like kind of yeah. like uh, doing that, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So he surrenders, uh, and they bring him back to the states, and all is all is well. And uh, the Soviets are desperate to find their own guy, right? So they find a couple, you know, subpar. German uh, rocket engineers, and they put them to work with 
their own rocket engineer. And I really meant to write this guy's name down, but I can't remember. Um, Dollar, if you look that up real quick, tell us who the Soviet uh, lead uh, rocket engineer yeah, was. Dollar, get hopping. On, yeah. the, on the right stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dollar, look that up. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> young, young Dollar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> young money. The uh, So the Soviets started up, you know, get their own little rocketry program going, and they actually lean into it a little bit sooner, right? So... They start funding it, and yeah. Homeboy builds uh, some rockets that you know do some you know great things all the way up until like the fifties when they launch Sputnik, right? And it's with Sputnik that America finally gets the kick in the ass. It says, "Oh shit, <laughs> we're behind." And it, I like this because it's like innovation. Soviet, uh, they know that they're number two behind the great and powerful America, right? And so they are motivated. Yeah, to do that while America is a little stagnant, like, hey, we're we're good, we're, we're we're crushing it, right? So there's there's some value in being number two. Complacency, yeah. Yeah, I digress. So they get this rocket up, and America's like, all right, we got to get, we got to start doing this thing. And Warner von Braun's like, fuck, finally, I'm going to get the funding yeah. that I need to really kick this program in the ass. Another another great movie talking specifically about Put- Sputnik and all that stuff is uh, all that. Sputnik is a touch point that kicks off the movie, but it's also focused on Von Braun. Yeah. October Sky. Yeah. With Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, that's a big, when they when Sputnik's going across the sky, that's what really kind of inspires him and gets, you know, and the whole nation is captivated. That, that inspires Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And in the end, he meets uh, he meets Warner Von Braun. and doesn't even realize he met him, but he meets Interesting. Him. Yeah, well, it's like the, the kind of like the sublime little moment at the end there. But yeah, no, exactly. It's a, a movie big, I've never seen, actually. It's, um, it's pretty fucking great, actually. All right, well, that'll be on my list behind. Not, uh, it's not an air power movie. The Expanse, though, the new Bond movie, and you know, the Matrix that comes out uh, at the end of this year. So, yeah. <laughs> clock, clock it in there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Warren von Braun is finally excited that this is going to happen because the bureaucracy is finally going to get moving, right? Uh, the American bureaucracy, and he doesn't. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> the bureaucracy and the infighting within the military departments and things like that. The Navy actually gets first dibs. Okay. Why? That makes a lot of sense. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> right. But at the time the air force is brand new, right? Is that why um, all the astronauts NASA Navy doesn't pilots? exist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because okay. the Navy was the, the king of aviation at the time. Um, okay. We're talking in the yeah. early fifties, yeah. right? Um, yeah. They're Naval aviators. All right. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're better than pilots. So they, the Navy, you know, sets up their program. They launch their first rocket, and it fails miserably. And yeah. they finally, like, all right, we're going to set up this NASA thing, National Aeronautics and Space uh, Agency, and we're going to put Warner von Braun on this fucking rocket thing, and F and A, away they go. Yeah. Um, and he launches his first rocket. The first attempt, great success. And we're off to the races. But in the meantime, the Soviets launch Laika mm-hmm. into space. Yeah, uh, the dog. She lives for about five hours and then dies. And apparently, like she died of heat exhaustion or something up there. And yeah. she did not have. What's the name? Is it this guy? No, I don't think that's that guy. Okay, I don't remember what the, what the name was. Plowing ahead. And plowing ahead. Um, <laughs> and uh, thank so, you, dollar. So like it dies, and there's a lot of, of like <laughs> there's a lot of political uh, or uh, public outcry because they didn't even have like a means to try and save the dog. Like it wasn't even a a consideration. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's. Dogs dying in the streets in India every day, and nobody cares about that, right? Um, and so we're like, all right, great. 
we're going to launch we're going to launch our thing but before we were able to launch our first thing into space the soviets get uh oh my god what is this guy's name yuri gagarin yeah yuri gagarin i cannot believe that i blanked that um sorry i got you mom <laughs> so you not believe how good that made me feel meanwhile the soviets are up there <laughs> meanwhile the soviets are up there you know, getting humans into space and all this stuff. And we're freaking out because we're well behind. And now we're up to, you know, the early 60s where, what's his nuts? JFK. What's his nuts? Um, <laughs> JFK is uh, making his speech. He had fabled nuts. Yes. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe nuts. Um, and so we do these things. We choose to do these things in this decade, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And uh, and America gets you know a light under their ass, and we slowly start to outpace the Soviets because in the meantime the Soviets are uh, lightly ahead, but they they don't they're not increasing funding sure. uh, for their programs, and so things kind of fall off. And homeboy uh, over there in uh, Soviet Russia is on like left to just deal with what he's got. Like they're not they're not improving his program anything, but they're they're asking more of him. Right? Yeah, and. That's where we end up with the you know the Mercury programs and we're starting to launch shit and instead of just like launching a, a you know a two foot tennis ball with antennas on it that goes beep 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 beep, uh, we're launching systems that go up there and actually doing like scientific measurements and things like that. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so Mercury's great success. Uh, everybody's on board with this. We just got this new this new plan to go to the moon because we know that that's the goal. And, you know, we launch, I don't know, I think Apollo 8. I think Jim Lovell was on Apollo 8. Yeah. Yes. Right? And he went around the moon. Um, yeah. I think it was one on the, that was the first mission to go around the moon. Is that right? I believe so. All right. We're going to go with that. We're, we're going to go with that. Um, and then, so he's subsequently on Apollo 13. But obviously, Apollo 11 is the big one. Uh, where, yes. where Neil Armstrong lands on the moon. Does is uh, one small step for man, you know, a giant leap for mankind. Uh, you know, a little catchphrase that he lived on forever, I think. And then Apollo 12 lands on the moon. And Apollo 13, fucking A, ready to go. We're going to land this thing on the moon. But, of course, everybody's not happy. Like, all right, boring. Yeah. And they're done that, right? Nobody this is, cares. This is, this is basically where the movie kind of picks up. It's a big part of the movie, yeah. Right. So, um. So that's the, the history and how V2 rocketry and the desire to put nuclear weapons. So, oh, yeah, I forgot that whole part, right? By the by, while these rockets are going off, America's over here building nuclear weapons. And it's like, oh, if I can do a V2 rocket with this nuclear weapon, put those two innovations together. You have a super innovation. Oh, we have a super innovation, right? And we, and we have, maybe we have an offset. And, uh, <laughs> it's a good callback. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, of the pod. Yeah. And apparently the, uh, uh, Soviets had a, you know, a spy. And in 1944, late yeah. 44, early took, 45, they got so long. Took they so got long. those plans out of, uh, what do we call that? What was the operation for the nuclear weapon? Philadelphia? Oh, the Manhattan Project? Yeah, the Manhattan Project. Yeah, Manhattan, Philadelphia. It's all in the Newark. That's uh, twice Muffs needed a fucking... Los Angeles. <laughs> Operation Los Angeles. Yeah. That's the wrong side just of pick a, Just pick a fucking region. Yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> worry. You've, you've had yours, all right? Um, 
<laughs> I don't remember what it was in the first one, but you had you had something. Kings to me, Fernand. <laughs> so we've got that going on, and we're starting to see that broader picture. And you know, we're thinking about intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear weapons going up into space. You know, and we're building into this whole air power thing. But to get there and develop that technology, we're like, we're going to go to the moon, yeah, to make a statement, right, and prove that we're the king shits of the world. Definitively pull ahead of the Soviet program. Correct. Correct. Because that was the that was the obvious like next destination, yeah. and that reaches all the way back to George Orwell, right? Who like a hundred years before that, or however many years, like he got a lot right. He's like in his book uh, from the Earth to the Moon, I think. Sure. Um, talks about it's going to take about three days to get there. Um, they're probably going to launch out of Southern Florida because he did the math. Uh, but the orbital rotate or the spin of the earth of providing enough momentum to minimize the amount of energy required to launch. Right. So if you, if you want to launch a rocket out of the North pole, it takes a lot more energy than it does to launch from the equator. Right. So obviously you want to be close to the equator and Southern Florida is, you know, where America, who he also correctly projected was going to be the first one to yeah. launch the thing. Uh, made it. his only, his only mistake was that he thought it was going to be a big cannon. <laughs> Because they didn't have rockets at the time. So, yeah. Uh, but he nailed it, right? For the most part. And uh, pretty prescient. And he got a lot of that right. So, all of that comes together to get us to Apollo 13 and Jim Lovell. Uh, and I don't remember even the names of the other guys. I should. I'm sure you guys have them. Yeah. I mean, there's a Swaggart. Swaggart and Jack uh, Swaggart. Yep. Yeah. And then the guy that the, the, the redneck guy. Yeah, his uh Fredo. Fredo Freddy. Hoosier Hoosier. We do a lot of research for this yeah, podcast. Uh, that's why I'm here. Um while we're on the fact checking, Apollo eight was the first to go around the, uh, the moon. Nailed it. Um and then yeah, the Apollo thirteen dudes. Level Hace and Swaggart. Yeah. And then Which one was the uh the Ken- bolt on? Swaggart. Okay, because the uh, the original uh, command module yeah, pilot was Ken, Ken Mattingly. They uh, were f- afraid that contracted he was get measles. Some, yeah, possibly contracted German measles. Gotcha. Yeah. And so he was not, and that was played by Gary Sinise, Gary Sinise. Lieutenant Dan. Yes, yeah, yeah. so uh, in Dan, that movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. he you know comes out in the in the Forrest Gump movie and says, "When you are a shrimp boat captain, then I'll be an astronaut." And hey. Comes an astronaut. <laughs> a couple of years later, Gary Sinise does. <laughs> That's how he got the titanium was, legs from the the space shuttle. Well, yeah, it was yeah. prior <laughs> to that, but yeah, he nice made that prediction. So that is kind of the air power underpinnings of the entire American space program. Yeah. So let's see how this is an air power movie or not an air power movie, in contradictory to uh, yeah everything else. I th- I think it's an. I think it's an air power movie in the negative sense in that I think people think of it as an air power movie potentially or like that it's about the astronauts and it's it's actually not about the astronauts it's about the engineers and and it's about the commoditization of all of this like the big thesis is that the the real heroes of this movie are the engineers and Gene Kranz played by the fabulous Ed Harris who kind of steals the movie in my opinion yeah for sure and um the astronauts, they're they're passive, they're passive observers really to the events of all the things. Like things happen to them, they receive checklists, they push buttons, hey, but they stir are not the oxygen engines. tanks. Yeah, and and right they okay, I'll stir the oxygen tanks. Yeah, but that they're not really doing anything 
active, right? All the problem solving, all the challenges are being overcome by the engineers and they're just kind of implementing the solutions okay. that, that are being figured out by these people, by the engineers. Um, the part that kind of, that makes it interesting is that the movie kind of shrouds itself in the glory of like that air power mystique. And we can see that when like they're suiting up to go actually on the mission and there's like this like choral music playing and it's almost like this ritualistic uh, where they're like putting the armor on Theoden, king of Rohan, right? And, like, <laughs> and it's like, you know, bolting it on and they're like talking to the the guys who are like their squires, like knighting them up, right? And putting on the pieces, right? Yeah. Uh, and the whole, and it, it, then the movie kind of presents itself like the astronauts are the protagonists and at the center of everything. And they are in terms of like the drama, but they're just a fucking payload. Then that's the point. Yeah. And the, but the movie doesn't really. Because understand itself that way. Is it because they're computing power? Like we have more computing power on our cell phones here on the table here. Yeah. Uh, than they had in the entire yeah fucking system. But of there's the, a, going to the moon. There's a couple moments where they and we'll, we'll kind of like go back through a little more chronologically through the movie. There's a couple moments where they actually the astronauts do do something that's like positive or like contribute, but it's it's small potatoes. Like for the most part, they're 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 along for the ride just kind of like at the whims of whatever the engineers can throw up to them. Yeah. Right? So um, it's really a, in my mind, kind of like a damning demonstration of the commoditization of air power when you have this reach back and the technology is progressed so far past like what the human being can actually actuate yeah. in a meaningful way as compared to the early jet or age understand or is maybe like an individual yeah. right and they, they do math and stuff at some points like gimbal calculations and whatever <laughs> right but um, grease pencil on the window like an a10 pilot yeah they something. do they do that at some point right but the um near the end when they're doing re-entry i believe right uh, what, yeah, what was the airplane that jim level flew it was the banshee um i don't know the actual uh f f2 h3 okay I think. okay yeah back in um, not an airplane i'm familiar with yeah, it was a supersonic airplane, I think, that they, they did back in that one day. One of the, yeah, okay. One of those. Yeah. He was a test pilot along with a lot of the guys that we're talking about today. Gotcha. Astronauts. Yeah. Which is all to say that the movie is, it's, it's, a, it's a movie about a retreat, an escape, right? Rather than a glorious conquest or a victory, right? It's about a successful retreat, but a retreat nonetheless, or, or an escape. What do you mean? Um, like the movie Dunkirk... Right is not about winning a battle or winning the war. Right, it's about yeah, n not getting completely annihilated. Right. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a successful a, failure. Yeah, a successful failure. Right, and the same thing with Apollo thirteen. They use that in thirteen, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. They, they um, do make that. Yeah, so that it's it's in that vein. It's in that like larger genre of successful failure or like shtick of successful failure movies. Okay, going all the way back to the original, very original story in that vein, which is a. Uh, Anabasis by Xenophon. <laughs> I knew this was going to be like a Greek thing. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> where he writes the story about how 10,000 Spartan mercenaries go on this expedition to Persia. And the, ki the king that they were trying to set up, Prince Cyrus, gets himself killed in the battle. So even though they won the battle, strategically it was a failure. And then they get betrayed on their way out. And then they have to like escape over mainland Persia back to the Black Sea. And it's like it's all the harrowing like... And then there was only 300 of them, and they made a movie about that? No, it was 10,000. Oh, 
Well, I, I figured they all died. Nine thousand no, uh, seven hundred of them died, and then they all stood in yeah. a, stood in a corridor. This and... was after this was at, <laughs> this was after Thermopylae. All right, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was actually after the uh, Peloponnesian War. Um, but anyway, right. So that's kind of the original like blockster of like about a successful failure. Okay. And this movie's in that vein too, right? Um, but it starts off with right, like. It reminded me so much of like rewatching it recently, like so much of the right stuff where how much they're competing with each other and like they kind of all f- they all like each other, but they all fucking hate each other too. Like who's got the ticket to be a po- on Apollo 11 versus Apollo 8, right? Who actually got to land on the moon? Yeah. Right. Uh, when, you know, the guy get when the Alan Shepard gets his ear infection in flames and then Lovell gets moved up to. Apollo 13 as opposed to Apollo 14 there he's like ecstatic right like he's like fuck yeah. yes yeah a guy in my year group just uh <laughs> yeah just yeah. fell out right yeah I'm moving <laughs> up his strats boom my strat, strat just went up yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we'll do a podcast on uh promotions and accessions at some point here <laughs> but um but like that's the way the that's the way that the the test pilots are presented in in the right stuff too um and so it's like very much that whole, it's setting itself up to be in that whole vein where like the astronauts competing and their abilities is like, is really the centerpiece of the movie. Um, and it kind of turns out not to be. Um, you got anything that you want to talk about for the beginning of the movie, Dollar? Yeah, no, I mean, just to build on that really, it's just like the, um, you talk about the, com- the competitive nature. There's quite a few jabs thrown at older astronauts that are in the program mission yeah. control that are just, you know, hey, why don't you talk to them about um, how it is to, how you how you went to the bathroom in space. Yeah. And he talks to Deke uh, there in, in the hallway before he gets pulled aside and, and, and told that he's the he's now the commander, um, gym level that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and it goes back to also like the, the Gary Sinise, Kevin Bacon, you know, back and forth as well of just like, oh, yeah. uh, and the, the comment that I kind of wrote down was like, what was it selfish for level to make that call? And like, would you have stayed? And it, you've already answered the question of like, that's the test pilot nature. Like, fuck no, they're not. He's not staying because one dude may have the measles. He's going to be like, sorry, dude, backups time. Yeah. Cause of the, the directors laid it out. Cause he was trying to make a pretty, a vociferous case for why Kim Mattingly shouldn't be grounded, right? And then the 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 NASA directors were like, "All right, here's the rub, dude. You can wait for Apollo 14 for Ken, or you can go now on Apollo 13." Yeah. And part of what influences decision, and this is going to be the next point, right, is that um, the clock is ticking on public interest and all of this stuff. Um, no one gives it like they're trying to they're already trying to shut down the Apollo program. They signaled that early on in the film. Yeah, they, they wanted like ten moon landings and then yeah. it has already been nutted down to nine. Yeah, so it this is the like Saturn rockets they bought, they purchased, um, that was pushing the Apollo missions. They had so many okay. left. Um, and then it comes in the public eye as well, right? Just like no one cares. Yeah. But like, uh, like there's only only Apollo eleven and twelve have touched actually touched down right at this point. Yeah. And there's that scene in the movie where the congressmen are talking to Jim Lovell and they're like, and he's like, when are you going to slated be slated to go? And he's like, well, Apollo fourteen because this is before he got the call, you know, the call up to the majors for for uh, for Apollo thirteen, and then uh, and he's like, well, you know, like da da da. He's like, and he's like, well, I'm going for Apollo 
I'm going for Apollo 14. And he's like, if there even is one by then, right. dude, I can't see why we'd fund it. You know, uh, he was like, well, what if, Col what would, Col you know, what if Columbus just like showed up and then no one came again after that? Yeah. Right. Like we got to keep going. Right. Um, but that, all that signals that the, the, they had just put a dude on the fucking moon like a year ago. Right. Or whatever it was. I don't know exactly what the time frame is. Right. And it was already like, all right, shut it down. This is the new normal. Right. Eddie like, Murphy's uh, raw has a great line. Like the stand up yeah. bit raw. Yeah. Uh, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. Like we get so bored. Well, and this goes back to like when we were talking about the, in an earlier podcasts about, the cachet of the piloting profession, right? You have to be on that like bleeding cutting edge of, of meaning and exploration in a way that it also attaches to the nation's goals. It's like, they already checked that box. They're already disinterested in that for these fucking moon astronauts. Man. Yeah. And it's like, it was like the, the the fact that piloting had so much cachet in the the post World War II era, I think is 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 not the not is not the norm. That was the exception, right? Just based on the confluence of like technology and where it was going, and the yeah the ability to and coming out of the war, the mystique around the pilots from then and all that. Um, and so, like what we experience now with RPAs, where they're not you know, where maybe we don't get the glory that we think we should based on our battlefield effects, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you like you said, the Dos Gringos song, we'll call back to that, yeah. right? Being a fighter pilot, right? Like, um, won't get you, yeah. muff no more. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, that's, that's just the way it is, right? Like, uh, and and if and it just it just struck me watch this like yeah like these guys were dealing with that kind of loss of glory so rapidly and loss of cachet so rapidly so aggressively like the difference between Apollo eleven and Apollo thirteen yeah it's like what what hope do any of us have and like like we have to find different ways of motivating our people and paying them essentially than in civilizational cachet dude the, right, which the, is the moon is like five times further away than the length of the equator yeah right so like there are these jim lovell has already gone around the freaking moon more than two hundred thousand miles away right yeah. so he's basically traveled around the globe five times everybody's like meh boring seen it yeah. what's next yeah when are we going to mars yeah um, and he had one of the he had some of the highest hours I think of yeah. any astronaut at that time. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, it, it, that's what blew me rewatching the movie is how no one cared. They they couldn't watch it because no news, no news was even covering the. the yeah, launch. well, you know what they were covering. One of the Beatles left the band the day before. Yeah, yeah they make that they make that reference. Uh, oh, to, do they? In yeah, the movie? yeah, his daughter. His daughter is pissed. His daughter doesn't even want to go watch their broadcast because uh, the Beatles broke. 
Yeah, and <laughs> and interesting fact, they were playing Jimi Hendrix music in that scene because the Beatles hadn't released their music to be used in movies yet. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah. interesting, yeah. Um, but like while it's kind of like painting all of these, this kind of like portentous imagery about like how fleeting and transitory the glory is for for these pilots right it's still kind of hold at least the movie itself is still holding on to like the idea that the 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 pilots are still the pilots and then the protagonists and that for me is like really solidified by the the suiting up scene that i mentioned earlier Um, i would also point out that these dudes have some badass fucking corvettes so they hit that up uh so worth noting is that they were buying those corvettes for a dollar yeah as there was a dealership in uh, Florida or something that was like getting like they were using the astronauts as a uh, marketing tool. a marketing tool, right? Oh, hey, all the corv the astronauts drive Corvettes, um, so you should buy a Corvette. Of course, they were getting them for a dollar, right? Except uh, first guy in space, what's his name? Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard. Pretty sure drove a uh, two cylinder little like European Polish car because it had great gas mileage. That dude's a boss. Um, no, I, I, <laughs> and all the others drove Corvettes like because they're a bunch of Americans. I think that was John Glenn. John Glenn? Yeah, John yeah, Glenn. yeah. That's probably right. With John the, Glenn. With the, with the little grandma mobile. <laughs> yeah. Tiny little like <laughs> like mini before minis were a thing, right? Yeah. Um, way, up, way ahead of his age there. Dollar. Great dollar gas mileage. Uh, grandma mobile these days. Yeah, I rolled up here in the in the Toyota Sienna, the, the dad mobile, until I get my new car in. Minivans over or underrated? Oh, they are. I had a mini- underrated. Oh, yes. I had a minivan in high school. It was the it was the bee's knees, man. Throw all your friends in, you know, like six dudes in the back. You're all yeah. having a good time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah. Um. Anyway, now it's just my wife and kids. <laughs> also great. <laughs> But they, uh, so they suit up, right? They go do the launch. This, this is when, in my opinion, the real heroes of the movie are introduced. Right? Okay. Mission Control, Gene Kranz. Uh, they're not even in the movie for the first 30 minutes of the movie, right? Like, so this, um, and then they finally come in, right? Okay. And the launch goes pretty smoothly, right? They even get through, like, they, they have that one, was it the Rocket okay. Engine 5? Real quick. So, interestingly enough, it's like NASA was almost flirting with, uh, like, they were purposely, I think there's even a line in the movie where, like, ooh, you're going up on Apollo 13? You know, because there's no 13th floor, right? Yeah. About superstition? Yeah, 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 yeah superstition. Yeah. Thank he, you. And Jim Thank Lovell's you. like, yeah, honey, it comes after it twelve. Comes after 12. <laughs> yeah. I wrote that fucking quote down, and I was like, "What? What is? Is, it, is this really like? Were there people really worried about this?" And I believe I looked up a, uh, a fact that yeah, his wife was actually worried. Sure, it was thirteen. Sure, but the engineers were not because you know what time uh, it was scheduled to take off. It was like thirteen. Well, they, fucking thirteen, thirteen. Yeah, they they talk about this <laughs> in the movie. It's like. Takes off at thirteen thirteen, moon landings at like thirteen hundred, right? Yeah, like, all the, like they had doped out all the time. I would have just gotten crazy to be like, "Hey, man, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna go hard, and we're gonna hit everything on the 13s and we're gonna prove that this thirteen thing is oh, that's stupid." Ex- that's exactly <laughs> that's, that's exactly what they did. 
That's exactly what they did. Ah. Like uh, they talked about in the movie. So you like, say that was all purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah they, it's they, like, like we did it already. Let's they, do it with this. Yeah. You know, they these. doped out all the numbers, like all the mission times and things like, like, like you're talking about to 13, like to, to the nth, to the nines, basically. My man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Muff, Muff would have been a... That's awesome. Muff would have been doing the same thing. The yeah. 14th floor of a hotel is just the 13th floor, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then they have the... This is like the fifth engine goes out, right? And then they're like... You know, they basically do some quick calculations down in the engineer lab. Yeah. They're like, yeah, okay, no big deal, right? Uh, we'll just have them burn a little longer. Cool. And they're like, that's our glitch, right? So, obviously... They're uh, they're they're Ooh. triggering a flag in a video game. We right? we, we, like, we we shook off the thirteens. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was our thing. Um, and then they go. Nothing could possibly go wrong from here. Oh, I did, <laughs> I did, I, I do want to back up. So, like, one of my favorite little scenes in there is when they when Kevin Bacon gets swapped in as Jack Swaggart. They're in the simulator, right? And um, he's a, uh, you know, they give him like a false indicator, and he, he's like, I'm going. I'm going, I'm switching to manual. <laughs> Click. Right. And switching to manual. And, he just, and then Hayes. Lighting figures command. Yeah. And then and Hayes. Hayes and Lovell. Hayes and Tom Hanks like look over at him like, the fuck is this guy doing? And Hayes even like raises his head up like with the eyebrows like, are you fucking kidding me? And then they're like, and then the G meter's like, and he's like, five G's, six G's, seven G's, eight, nine, 10, 12. He's like, we're fucking dead. And then um, <laughs> we all just passed we're out. Burning yeah. out right now. Yeah. We're all burning out. And then, uh, and the context is that they're all a little salty that they have this guy instead of Ken Mattingly, right? And Jack Swigert's fine, uh, but you know, it's not their boy. But I always think of that as like a sass off, right? I'm switching, <laughs> switching to manual. It's like, don't like someone's like, I'm going sass off. It's like, what are you doing? What the fuck? Like, do not go sass off, bro. But yeah, um, so that's just a little tidbit there that I had. Um, but speaking of swagger, then we fast forward to another extremely iconic scene, the docking scene, um, where they, they dock with the Lem. Yep. Um, which there's a big callback to that, obviously, in Interstellar. Um, where the docking scenes in the movie Interstellar. You guys? Yeah, you guys yeah. Remember? I'm familiar. We talked yeah. about how much you love Interstellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, the reason Interstellar is getting at, like, recreates that whole vibe of the the docking sequence similar to the way that Apollo 13 portrays it is this movie right it is really kind of a even though it is a successful failure or a successful retreat um it still is about like the predominance of that like adventurous spirit in with the American zeitgeist and interstellar is right, trying to do some critiques and looking at, you know, the idea of adventure and pushing forward. And so it's like deliberately sure. through Cooper calling back to that, uh, with through, through visual imagery. Um, yeah, but yeah, I love that scene. I love yeah, that. that fucking, was, I love that docking sequence. Park that thing, rookie. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, it's funny. I, yeah. You know, the, all the research we do on the podcast, right? And we, I mean, you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, but pretty thorough. But yeah, looking through some things, it, it's funny that they really portrayed him as a as a greenhorn and very, being very green. Yeah. When realistically, like, 
He got a shit ton of time, yeah. Yeah, he 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 could he could do the things that they wanted him to do. It it was just kind of Hollywood making it a Hollywood thing. Yeah, and they also hammed up his like womanizing yeah. to kind of make him more of sure. a, yeah, a yeah. villain compared to the more family. Yeah, like, the, the opening scene is yeah. very uh not top, a villain, but like it's a very more uh, top gun uh target rich environment scene. And oh. I was just like, what is but with Swigert, you know, explaining how the lamb docks with the lady. And <laughs> yeah. you're just like, all right, man. Um, <laughs> he's got a cup in the bottom. He's like, the lamb slides Literally in like, like this. He's just, just like, so tight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. These guys. We don't, have, we don't have video on the podcast, but use your imaginations, people. Um, or just watch the scene. Um, the other one that full caught Ke- me. Going full Kevin Bacon. Yeah. The other one that script. caught me that was funny was the uh, after they have the the – the, the duking it out with the medical team about Mattingly and they're doing the launch sequence. Um, they call for medical when they're doing their go now go checks. Okay. And the dude is just ripping cancer sticks. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a sign of the times, but Yo, the, dog, it's the sixties. Uh, we don't, we don't care about that. Oh, seventies yeah. at this time, I think early seventies. Yeah. Uh, Might be because we landed on, uh, sure 11 was uh, Apollo 11 <laughs> was in 1969. Right. And then, so, Ostensibly 12 and 13 or subsequent to that. Um, interestingly enough, Orson Welles also got right that it would be in the month of December that we landed on the moon, which is true. Was there a reason for that or just... Nope. Or he was just... Oracular, he just got lucky. Oracular, spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One out of 12 guess. <laughs> All right, sweet. Um, so, like, yeah. So, at this point, right, they're, they got their crew. They've had, like, a couple little hiccups, but they've docked with the limb. Everything's sick. Right, uh, even the people in Mission Control and Gene Crowns are kind of like, okay, we're like, we're kind of on autopilot, right? Like they're not fully switched on. Like they even send everybody home at night, right? Yeah, like and this. This is the easy bits. Yeah, and like, and we've done this before, and it's all, you know, it's all blase. Um, that's when they they do this broadcast for coming from the spacecraft. Like they're supposed to be on all the channels, right? Okay, and they all. All the all the major news channels dump them, uh, because like they're just like landing on the moon's about as exciting as you know watching merchant ships travel across the Pacific, right? And as in not very interesting, and uh, yeah, they get dumped, and it's just like okay, this is an, that was a big standout moment of like how yeah how how uninterested in general and how little cachet that stuff has with the broader public imagination sure yeah. um just the, the families had to travel to the mission control center to watch the yeah the because it's the not recording. on tv yeah because it's not on his TV. grandma can't see it or his mom jim level's mom yeah. can't see it because that'd be pretty crushing man home. like you're you're on your way to like be further away from the earth than like any other human being other than like five other guys right you're like one of six dudes that has been the furthest away from earth <laughs> Yeah, and like your mom can't even see it on TV. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and they're like, uh, they're like, you know, do they even do they know they're not being broadcast? And they're like, like, no, we'll uh, we'll tell them when they get back. Just, just let them do that. So they're like going through this whole like scripted thing that they worked out where they're like dancing with the fucking orange juice and all that yeah. stuff, and just yeah. And, and Swagger figures out that he's cool with his taxes and doesn't have to because he's out of the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. they're gonna give so him qualify a, for give a tax free. Yeah, they're gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're gonna give him a pass free because he didn't uh, he didn't didn't turn his taxes in in time. 
Yeah, cool. All right, but then, uh, right then, faithfully, Kevin Bacon stirs the tanks. Right. Right. And uh, At know, the command of the engineers. Yeah. Uh, although there is a little bit of a side where Gene Cran says, like, it's got to stir both H2 and O2. And then when the guy gives the command, he's like, just need you to stir the O2 tanks. So I didn't know if that was intended or not, but I did notice that, that they kind of went out of their way to portray that. But anyway... He flips the O2 tanks. It shouldn't have done what it did, but blew up a lot of shit on the jet. Yeah. Well, not on the jet, on the spacecraft. And where, you know, all the beepers are going off, right? And they're they're like, oh, they're... they're uh, Everybody thinks that... Uh, so in the movie Apollo 13, Tom yeah. Hanks says, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, but apparently they say something different. Dollar. Okay. Yeah, so they've uh it's actually Swigert that says it first in 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 life and he said Houston we've had a problem. Uh uses not we have a problem. We yeah. we've had a problem and uh then It's a good script writing. And then level and then level yeah. has to repeat it back. Um why cuz they're like uh what did you say? Yeah, they they come back with a yeah, what do you say and, and then level comes back on the comms and says Houston we've had a problem. So yeah, it's actually Swagger that said it first. Interesting. Couldn't have Swagger say it in the movie first. Like, nah, it would have been He signed it kind of set up as the antagonist. Right. Or like a little bit opposed sure. to what's going on, yeah. Uh, to the other two dudes, and there's also like at this point, like the, the point the movie tension. the movie depicts that like Tom Hanks is like a bit upset with him, and he's like, you know, what did bit. you do? I stirred the tanks. You know what I mean? And like, like there's a lot of tension in the movie around this point because you need that tension in the movie to keep audiences engaged. Yeah, and in real life, there was no that didn't exist. Yeah, right. It was just like, yeah, you did what they told you to do. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, there are three dudes 200,000 miles away from Earth. Like, yeah. We're not, yeah. Right. It's not, not a good place to be little... having a fight. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. Which, which does come to a head later on, right? It does in the, well, in the end, flat, in the flashing movie. forward a little bit, it, when when they go back to, to re-enter the atmosphere and Lovell is in the pilot seat and he does a little switch, he goes, hey, sorry, Jack, it's just habit. Yeah. And they switch positions. It's kind of like a... You know, uh, they they get through their tension that they had early in the movie there. Yeah. And then they're arguing, too, where, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Where they're, like, arguing, where it's like, what, you trying to say something? He was like, what did the gauge say before you stirred the tank? And it's like, you know, and then Tom Hanks has to, you know, be the leader and shut it down, right? Like, exactly <laughs> what you were saying. And then he essentially says exactly what you said. Like, we're three dudes in space trying not to die. Yeah, like, and, and the we end. We don't have the fucking time to be... You know, bouncing each other off the walls, all, and all yeah. of the telemetry is yeah. being downlinked to the engineers who are looking at it, and they're like, "All right, it's time to stir the tanks, do your thing, hit that one button that we put in there for you, just to, because we can't actuate it from here." Um, yeah, <laughs> stir that Yet. tank for me. Yeah, right. Uh, and so he does. I mean, yeah. how was that different than DGS telling <laughs> any any of us? The, hey, keep looking at that yeah, keypad that six. target. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not any different, right? Yeah. And um, but then, like the real, the real centerpiece of the movie begins, at least for me, where it's like all the problem solving that happens in in Mission Control and with Gene, and Gene Kranz like running his team. Yeah. So like it's when v- I, very well done in the movie. Yeah. So like all the stuff's going off, right? Like the, all the engineer stations are getting like all this 
horrible data in like a matter of seconds like to the point where they just think it's an instrumentation problem because there's like no way they could have a quadruple failure right and uh so like the first thing they have to do is figure, like that they hurdle they have to get through is like is there actually a problem or not and it's like all these dudes are trying to talk to gene crans and like you know babbling about what they're seeing on their scopes right and he's just like dude i, I fucking love ed harris in this movie because he's like he's like one at a time, people, you know, and then like, you know, and then that kind of like takes control of the room, then makes the little nerds talk to him one at a time because they don't, all they know is their stuff, right? Yeah, they're, they they're one little focus yeah, point of this whole yeah, thing, Yeah, right? like he's like the conductor, yeah. you know, running this whole orchestra, and there's like multiple times where he does like really great stuff with that. Um, but it's like their first things they have to figure out, okay, this actually is a real problem, but they have to get through that first. Um and then I wonder if Gene Kranz actually like did something like that, or if that is just very good writing. I don't know. Uh, you, what do you got on that dollar? I I don't have much, man. I yeah started listening to his book, but it's not quite to the Apollo thirteen thing um, here. Oh, on the book, yeah, yeah. When it comes to Gene Kranz, um, but I think you know they did portray him at least. I believe his wife uh, said that they did a very good job of yeah. his mannerisms and how he talked especially with jim level as well tom hanks did a good job so yeah i, I don't have any doubt that gene Kranz is an absolute badass yeah yeah um i mean he's wearing a vest so you know yeah yeah looking the part yeah and then like the first major hurdle they got to get through is like trying to stop the oxygen tanks from like completely depleting and they ultimately fail with that but in so doing like they shut off the fuel cells and that's gonna like end the mission right and so then they make the decision to dump everybody in the lem, right? As the what is the famous line there? Like we're putting them in the light. The lem's now a lifeboat, right? Like you know we're putting them, we're skipping them down there. Yeah, and it's only made for two guys too, not yeah. three. Uh, two guys for like I think three days or maybe even two days. Two days, days on the moon. It was right? two days on the moon made yeah, for so it's like two guys. So two times two is four. At least if my you know elementary school math uh, is still correct. Um, and now they're trying to put three dudes in it for like three to four days, right? Yeah. So that's three times four is twelve. <laughs> yeah. So they got they got problems, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've got problems and then, Am uh, amperage yeah. problems. Yeah. Yeah, and then they've got like trajectory problems. Like, are we going to do a direct abort? Are we going to go around the moon? Right. Yeah. Do we have enough battery power to even make it back to reentry? Do we have enough battery power to successfully restart this thing, right, and turn on everything without burning enough amp? You know, with the voltage spikes from turning everything on, that we're gonna bolt, we're gonna blow our amperage where we can't actually like relight and do a bunch of stuff that we need to do. So that's the whole thing with Ken Mattingly at the end, where they're like trying to keep the amperage down later, and then they have, you know, the other problem of the uh, the CO two scrubbers, yeah. right, which is actually probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah. But the um, where like they have enough oxygen, they have the trajectory, they still don't have the battery power situation figured out. But now like the scrubbers were designed for those two people for the CO two. So now the CO two is the, uh, the square peg round hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. square peg round hole. Yep. Yeah, and just like with each of these things, Gene Kranz just like takes mar control. marshals the whole thing and like makes it so clear. Like there's that one point where he, I love that he does this. He like takes them into the the freaking conference room and everybody's like talking and squabbling like turkeys with all their perspectives and what they're worried about. And he's like, all right, we've got people here. 
He's like, he draws like a big circle and then a little circle. Got people here. We need to go. They need to go from here to here. You're saying we have 45 hours. That gets them to here. Yeah. Which is not Earth. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, that's so important because whenever you're on a big, complex project like that, the... Um, it's so easy to get like pull to get pulled into the details the of all voltage. the stuff. The straight, yeah, yes, exactly. The stray fucking voltage, uh, just just sucking you in, and like he's just like he's he is like anti stray voltage. He's the a stray voltage, yeah, the yeah. ultimate. And like, it was yeah, dealer. Of yeah, stray that's voltage. why I was like, I'm like, you are a god. You are the stray voltage. Uh, you know, an- your stray voltage antimatter. Like you just <laughs> obliterate stray voltage wherever you go. Gene Cranston, at least as Ed Harris plays him, and uh, I I want his child children. A lot, lot of stray voltage in our community. Hmm? A lot of stray voltage in our own community. Well, we yeah, we could if, use a few of those guys. Well, unless unless you're very good and know what you're doing with that stuff, like you get on a complex project and everyone just starts kind of going down these rabbit holes without really understanding the end, like goal. the big picture. Like, what are we doing? Like, in the most simplest terms possible, I'd get everybody on that yeah. same sheet of music right away. Like, it's easy to say that, but when you're in the, the heat and flash of a project, it's especially, like, one that was under his time pressures like they had. I have a friend on a, another AETC project for flying cars and, like, EV tolls, mm-hmm. uh, electric vertical takeoff and land uh, aircraft. And the guiding principle of that whole thing is we need to create a market, Right. Uh, so, the, so the Air Force is trying to create this market for these airplanes to beat China to the punch because you yeah. know they might do it. And then there's there there are people on this team that are like, well, what about oh, the, like who's going to fly this thing? The enlisted yeah. or the or officers? And like they had to, they come in with their own agenda. So it's a complete small, like stray yeah, voltage bullshit. And it's it's hey man, we're just trying to get these airplanes like get the Air Force to start buying these things. Yeah. So like we're full of straight voltage <laughs> everywhere because people come into these things with their own agenda and yeah. dudes like Gene Krantz, you need them to shut all that shit down. Well, that's like uh, exemplified by the guy from Grumman, if you remember him uh, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, the guy who built the, the guy because Grumman built the Lem. Yeah. He and was so a, this, this guy pops up a few times. Go ahead. He dog. was a straight voltage king in the movie yeah. and towards the end when they're trying to figure out he's worried about his job and there's a, a part where he comes in and he's like i knew the lem would do it and yeah. you're just like you're full of shit dude you're just in and then gene Kranz says yeah bob or whatever his name is it looks like, like, it looks keep- like you can keep your job yeah. <laughs> it's just like god damn it yeah because then all these things right because they're they're way outside of normal even normal even what's normal for contingency operations right like they are they are by the seat of their pants trying to make some shit happen, right? According to the movie. According to the movie. Yeah, they... I think in reality, real, they actually had that. They had a lot of contingency plans that weren't weren't uh, from the hip, yeah. so to speak. I think they even had plans for, like, like evacuating to the limb. But based upon, uh, like, their, their simulation was that the con- the atmosphere and the command module and stuff was, was fucked for whatever reason, so they had to go to the limb. Not, like, not this particular problem that they actually had, but... Real life, they had put you know run through run through some contingencies. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff. Last, like the me, last five minutes of I their mean, mission brief. They had the CO two scrubbers. No, I think like that was that, that was right? pretty legit. Um, I think in the movie, but I think the big one that the movie does that wasn't really a thing is the Ken Mattingly in the simulator. Yeah, that 
wasn't necessarily accurate. Um, yeah, like that, he's, that he's coming up with this procedure on the just on like out of nowhere. Yeah, that there, those procedures were were put in place already. Um, but the other stuff that Gene Kranz is is managing, I think that was yeah. pretty realistic. Yeah, and in, in the real world, the engineers are the the bulwark against like just random ideas <laughs> coming out of the simulator, right? Um, they're like, no, that's not going to work. Yeah, that, that should work. No, we're not doing this. And it's the engineers making the final decision. Yeah. Right. Based upon maybe some evidence that came out of a simulator that said, Hey, this might work. Yeah. But they're the ones that make the final, but the, yeah, but the go call, but the Grumman guy is basically sitting around like while they're outside, you know, while they're trying, at least in the movie, trying to, hmm? while they're, while they're trying to make, uh, you know, all this stuff happen. Right. And and he's basically like, "Can we do this? We need we need this to be able to do that." And the Grumman guy's always like, "Well, Grum, we didn't build it. To we like, didn't build the limb to do this to, to be guaranteed to do that." And he's like, "I don't give a crap whether it was intended to do this. Like, we're we're trying to bring these boys home." Yeah, by, he like, says it multiple times. He's like, yeah. "Guys, I don't care what we what these things were made to do. Yeah. I want to know what they can do. Yeah, to get these boys yeah. back home. Yeah." And then I just love that. And then there's like, "What well, like a." Uh, they're like the problem with the CO two scrubbers is that the the lem has round CO two canisters and the module has square. Yeah. Right. And then they're like the engineers are like, well, we can't like, you know, they're they're different models. And then like Gene Kranz just kind of looks at me he's like, well, I suggest that you you boys figure out a way to and. Uh, you invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole quickly. And then, yeah. And then, and then the they, next, go, and they then go and dump all this yeah, stuff on the table. Yeah, and then it cuts to like them dumping shit out of a box. Yeah, it's like, like, this is what's right, on the spacecraft. All right, dudes, take your socks off and duct tape this stuff together and put it in here. Yeah, using <laughs> this shit, you know, do that together. And kind of as an aside, I think um, like at SOS and whatever, you do all those little problem solving. Have you been at SOS? No. Nope. Okay. You know, you'll get to experience yeah, the joy. Slated, slated in March. You'll get to experience. Oh, dude, that's terrible. Reaper smokes in April, dog. I'll well. April, late April. I'll be back for that. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, but the uh, SOS and like a few, they get like really caught up on like these little puzzle solving games where it's like taking these three dudes. You know, you have to take these three dudes and like using these two blocks you know, get over this low wall without touching the paint chips. It's right? the same stuff we did at OTS, man. It is exactly, exactly the same exactly stuff. The same stuff. But I think, I think there's just like a fetishization of all of that because of things like Apollo 13, where people think that that's like big, big dog leadership. And it's like, up people's brains to yeah, but operate it's, at a certain but, level, but that's not organizational leadership, right? No, that's, tactical that's like, level. yeah, that's tactical like like problem engin- solving problem solving engineer whatever stuff and yeah. it's like I, I i i got really frustrated at sos and this is a long aside i know but i got really frustrated at sos uh because i'm like we're all senior captains like this is what we've been doing at least as far as what the air force wants us to do right shouldn't our professional development that we're going through here right now shouldn't that be talking about our next stages, which is going to be more organizational leadership and filtering for that. But like yeah. you get, 
you get like you do well at SOS based on whether you can like solve these little fucking lame puzzles and it's like I don't know, it's just dumb. Anyway, yeah. uh, when I was watching that scene in Apollo 13, I was like I was reminded of that. I was like, "Yeah, I wonder if like some of this or like things like this contribute to like the the fetishization or mythologization of like problem solving as leadership." Just a problem solve. Yeah, yeah. problem solving as leadership right? sure. rather than kind of like Anyway. Um, I mean, the leader in the movie is not the problem solvers. It's yeah, it's the, it's the Gene, Gene Kranz. Yeah. yeah, and Tom Hanks on the air crew side. Yeah. And um, that, that was one thing that kind of brings me back to the first yeah, Gene part Kranz, of the... Gene Kranz doesn't solve shit. Or, like, in terms of, like, the actual procedures or, like, what the CO2 canisters are going to look like. He's not got a... He's not, like, you know, balls deep in any of that. No. Yeah. No, he just bravehearts it. He's, yeah, just, he's like, just controlling everything, right. or like controlling the team, right? Yeah. And that's like what we should be doing as we progress in, as FGOs and stuff. And it's just frustrating that SOS has like such a fetishization of like that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just super dumb to me. Yeah. Myself and school needs to, un, you know, maybe think about this. Yeah. Kronk and I um, were talking about this when we were listening to you guys' last podcast. Yeah. Nice. Of trying to... I like hearing that people are actually listening. That's yeah. pretty good. Um, well, <laughs> we have, we I, have a very small I audience. I don't have a car. I don't have a car <laughs> right now, so I'm... So I'm... Yeah. I'm at the... I'm at the leisure of, of driving back, so we, we threw it on, and it was the... the whole instruct-teach thing of... Yeah. of uh, and we, we were coming up with examples of how to kind of instill that awe into students uh being leaders so to speak and yeah. uh of just like what what are parts in the syllabus that we can do that and this is very very pointed but you know yours your solos or the first time that they actually go out and fly in the actual aircraft early on it's like you guys earned these solos you guys have earned this right to go out and fly this aircraft let's get excited about it yeah we're gonna learn some stuff but Big ticket, big picture. Like, what are we doing here? Type of mindset. You, that's Yogi, that's a lot. Maybe aside, that we're gonna no, we're gonna throw off a curveball on this one. No, it's good. Uh, the so, Holloman used to dunk people on we're, their solos. We're, we're allowed to detour. Yeah, yeah, we sure. de, we detour a lot. Right? Hard left. Um, KC four <laughs> is that the first solo? Yes. Yeah, we don't dunk people in the in the tanks anymore, right? So, I saw a dunk tank out there. Yeah, it's out day. there. We we the Holloman used to do that when the solos first came online in like 2017. Okay. It was like a big thing, and then I don't know, slowly fell off. Um, did you get dunked at uh, UPT? Oh, absolutely. No, oh, you didn't make it back to the flight room. No, you're a bitch. Um, <laughs> I made it back to the flight room, made my point, and then I got dunked. But uh, I, I actually don't remember. But I did get. I was. I did end up in the water. Yeah, and, but the the solo is such a huge thing because like it's so much easier to fly when there's nobody over your shoulder looking at like like you just feel more confident and comfortable when there's not some jerk wad you know over your shoulder critiquing every little button you press and oh. <laughs> flip switch you flip and it's the same with pilot training like you're, you're arguably your best sortie it's quiet you're calm you're comfortable it's because there's nobody in the back seat <laughs> Telling you you yeah. suck, you know what I mean. You're having a, the time of your life. <laughs> there are a couple. There are a couple little nice pilot moments related to that in Apollo 13, 
where like they rip off all their medical stuff. It's a little medical mutiny. Oh, did I steal your thunder there? No, okay. I was. I'm. I have points to bring up, and I'm glad we're getting to them. Perfect. Yeah, it was like the little medical mutiny thing where they like rip off their stuff because like the the doctors are like you know, talking about their heart rate and all this other stuff, and like at one point he's like, yeah, the uh, the docs are telling us, uh, guys, that you guys need to get more sleep. Uh, they're reading this and this and this, and the level goes like, okay. And just like rips off his thing, <laughs> and the other guys, are, the other two guys, are looking at him like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "We just lost level because like it flatlines when he rips it off." And he's like, "I just lost level," and he's like panicking. The nerd at his station, the medical and guy, the yeah. medical guy at his station, and then uh, the other, the other two astronauts are like, "Okay," and then they like rip off their shit. He's like, "I just lost the other two. and they're like, and then Gene Kranz is like. It's just a little medical mutiny. Relax, you know. Yeah, to the, to settle the down, guy. nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, there's one point where this reminds me like of a lot of moments flying, uh, you know, with our hot mics through our clear common stuff. Yeah. They're like, they're like fucking yelling at each other. At one point, they're like, "God damn it!" Like, da, 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 da. are you on Vox? Yeah. And then like, and then someone comes over. He's like, "Are we on?" Tom Hanks is like, "Are we on Vox?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "Okay, click." <laughs> Yeah, Houston, how's it going? Like, <laughs> <laughs> straight, from, straight from like the just fucking yelling at each other. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, what do you got on that dollar? No, I was, I was going back to kind of the initial point of like the air power story um, mm. uh, that we're discussing here, and the uh, the one part that I think the you know do some pilot shit mav type of moment was when yeah. When all the <laughs> instruments and shit are going haywire, they're getting warning buzzers and everything's going crazy, and they're right. trying to figure out and diagnose the situation. Are you talking about the initial? Yeah, the, the initial, the initial, yeah, the initial problem. Yeah, um, when the O2 tank explodes or whatever, and uh, uh, Lovell looks out the window and he just goes, "Yep, there's something leaking from the." Whatever, and like all these people are trying to figure out what's going on. They're it like, goes oh, it's silent. just yeah. yeah, and then it goes silent. He just looks out and he's like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna do pilot stuff and look out and see what the issue is. Yeah, yeah, we have stuff leaking. All right, what can it be? <laughs> yeah, you're just just having that that human being. Your telemetry is not always gonna tell you everything that you want to know, right? Especially so when they're, everything they're, looks like it's going wrong. Yeah, and there and there's definitely some value in like. And then, like, and just and like and having a pilot and a human being to, you know, cut to the chase. Well, and like, that's what settles that initial problem. I was saying where they're trying to figure out whether any of this was real or not, right? Like, whether it was just instrumentation or like bad, bad software, or whether like something was mechanically wrong. And when he says that, that that basically ends that. And he's like, uh, and then I think the guy uh, ground control is like, uh, copy Aquarius, copy your venting, and it's just like, and then it's like another pause for silence, and then all the nerds pick up again and then Gene Kranz has to be like, all right. And this is another great moment from Gene Kranz where he's like, all right. He's like, we got to work the problem, people. Let's look at this from a question of status, right? Like what's on the spacecraft that's good, right? What do we have on the and ship I, that's working? Yeah, and I, I love that line because it's kind of like the genius of Gene Kranz rather than kind of like to flip the mentality that everybody had rather than yeah. we're, we're, we're titrating in all of these problems right as uh you know as they as they attrit and as they accrete and build up yeah and um and rather than that's like let's assume that like everything's busted and like figure out what things are actually good and then like build from like to use this term from the 
corporate world, the bright spots. But the uh, yeah, it's like yeah. Listen, I know a lot of shit's broken. That doesn't help me make yeah. a plan. We what have to, what we have do to, I have to work with? Yeah, we have to, ch- like, there's enough shit that's broken that we have to change how we're approaching this, right? Yeah. And he was able to, like, flip their whole mindset, right? And it's just like, and that's like, that he knew to, at least in the movies, like, he does that, like, in, like, a couple seconds, you know, he, he recognizes the need to, like, change the... The mental orientation towards the problem. It's just, it, it's just great. It's the most difficult part yeah. to instill in students as well, or any okay. aviator when it yeah. comes to that of just like, hey, you have all these beepers going off and these warnings. What is, is the plane still flying? Or do you, Dude, need, I, I th- I or think do you need to fly the plane for, like, you know what I mean? I think emergencies in this, like, we grossly overcomplicate everything. There are four critical things. They're called, you know, the four caps. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and loss of control prevent is arguably not even like a real cap. Dude, I, I brief it the way that you talk about where I'm like, I always, I always make the assessment. This is literally just maintain aircraft control. Yeah. yeah. I always make the point. Um, just give me like, why, why do we, why do we have a checklist to, that tells us as pilots to take control of our airplane? <laughs> it's bullshit. Um, it's, it's, it's based on like long history, right? So, all the other, th- like, the real reality of that whole checklist is that my dog is barking and will not shut up. Um, if you can hear that. I don't know if you can. Um, the real history of that checklist is that Landing Configuration Command Payload Position Mode, now MTS Position Mode, used to be the first two steps of, like, five checklists. Mm-hmm. And so they just said, okay, that's not, that's not the first two steps of these other three caps. Let's... Let's put them into their own thing and do it, do a thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's like four, we'll, we'll say three critical things that need to be done, right? Uh, engine failure, total loss of downlink below 2,000 feet, and... I wasn't paying attention. I always blank on the uh, third uplink one. Uplink command link. Or yeah. like, uh, the, uh, oh, told, that's total downlink failure. That's yeah. uplink slash command link off. Oh, engine fire, right. RPM to can on the ground. Yeah, that one, um, which is just condition lever aft, right? So those are the three critical things that anybody in the RPA community needs to worry about. Everything else, just landing configuration command, fly your airplane, what's going on? Like, you, you have a minute. To think about it, even on dual gen failures, etc. Settle down, cut right to the nut, relax, just take a deep breath, and all will be well. I promise you, you're not even in the airplane, dog. Relax. Wind the clock is the old timey expression for that. Yeah. Right. Right. Take take a minute to think about it. Right. Um. But like, yeah, through all that stuff, though, it's pretty clear. To get back to the movie, um, that, the, that the engineers and mission control are, are really the the movers and the shakers of making the stuff happen, right? Like everything that's happening on the Aquarius and the Lem, there's is about their their them experiencing it from a drama point of view, but they're not really problem solving, right? They're not. They, there's like little moments near the end, like when they they have to fire the rockets. Yeah, do the burns and they stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, but like the real heroes, and they have to like line up the 
you know the angle of the trajectory so yeah, that they that's, don't burn up on re-entry like right actually comes up with like the because the engineers let's just like, visually do this yeah we're gonna use the so earth a, i just need one visual point i've got a big one it's blue and green and very big in my windshield i right? would dude if if, and, if space travel like yeah. out of uh spaceport usa over there on the other side of the mountains here in new mexico okay if that ever becomes a thing and i can throw 10 grand at that sold I, I will i will sell a car to go fly into space and see earth from that perspective in a minute won't even think about it you got photos dog i don't want photos i want that experience yeah i don't really care you can sure. invest your ten thousand dollars in Apple and you know make some money or whatever you want to do, but yeah, me, I'm going to space. Yeah. So, like, with the exception of like that one scene, pretty much, like the the, and this is what really struck me is that the the astronauts are and are 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 their passengers on this ride and they're passengers to the problem solving and all of the real stuff is happening down in Mission Control with the engineers by virtue of the reach back. That like this plane had, yeah, kind of similar to our levels of reach. Back I mean, in their case, just, it was just radio, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's like it's, but it's like the same kind of like continuous reach back, right? That, yeah, yeah. that we get in the MQ nine, right? Um, but so, and then as the things are deteriorating, right? That's when the news gets involved. Gets involved Special right? report. So now, <laughs> right. So now they're very interested in Apollo 13. Right? Yeah. Now that, it, now that they could potentially die. Right? Now that it's a train wreck, you know, if it train. bleeds, it leads. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought that was an interesting point when it transitions to that. And the question I wrote down was like, were they really listening to a play by play countrywide of this? Mm. And how are they doing it? Like literally the families are at home like listening to them flip switches and shit. Yeah, they have that like like and they and they didn't even care that these guys were sitting on a rocket about to be launched into space yeah. 3 days ago. Yeah. They, but now they now they now they have the capability to just have a play-by-play of what these guys are doing almost real time. It's a little unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they they had a they had the uh box that right uh Maryland level, yeah. Listening to yeah, that's what I was just like. Where is that? Like, is yeah. Oh, how is this getting to ABC and NBC? Like, yeah, immediately. Yeah, they had. Um, I mean, that was pretty harrowing, probably. Like, if anything like that was happening from yeah, no perspective, yeah. Especially when they're doing the burn and they're like, he's like, you know, up down. They're like yelling at each other, like stressed out and shit. Oh yeah, like you know, I'm sure that goes silent and they're like, well, are they? Yeah. Are they on trajectory still? Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, but all of that is to say, I think, yeah, and then obviously they, they make it back, right? They, The engineers run through the gauntlet of re-entry, the re-entry calculations, which, you know, they were holding off on. The heat shield, right, which eventually they just get to the point where they're like, if Fuck it, it. If it, it works, it works. Yeah, but this then is we've all got no better solution. It's either on or it's off. Yeah, like, or right. it's going to work or it's not going to work. There's nothing so. we can, right? And, like, the, you know, the the little parrots are all squawking, like, what about this, what about that? And, like, Gene Kranz is like, it's either on there or it's not. This is, it was full send, right? Spit on it and send it. Yeah, it's full send. Like, <laughs> there's no recourse. There's no anything at this point. Um, 
Yeah, which is all to say, I think, um, yeah, the movie portrays these people or the astronauts as as the protagonists, as evidenced by you know, the movie opens on Jim Lovell, and we don't see the engineers till like thirty five minutes into the film and Mission Control. But the movie is about Mission Control, really. I mean, it's it's that they're the people making the decisions, solving the problems by and large. And, and the astronauts are the passive, you know, expedience and, and, and experiential uh, element, but, but they're not, they're not, act, they're not really piloting in like the, the way that we think of it mythologically, right? Like with like yeah. the pilot making decisions, the pilot, you know, in control of his craft, like ma- making it happen. Um, so I think the movie's kind of a touch point for for the commoditization of air power because it's it basically is a movie about the commoditization of air power but it doesn't understand itself as such right because it wants to make jim lovell and all these dudes the the protagonist you're saying the movie and the directors and the people that wrote this thing don't and, understand and popular it. culture yeah they don't understand and, and really this is what this this goes back to the civilizational cachet of how everything's portrayed, right? Yeah. There's the movie is not about the astronauts in terms of who's who's really making stuff happen, right? Sure. Who who has who has control and 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 power over the destiny and the events, right? Yeah. Who's affecting the events, right? The astronauts are not affecting the events. The the astronauts are on the receiving end of all of the events. They're they're literally just doing what the engineers tell yeah. them to do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, and so they made a movie that portrays that, which I think, which I think, relatively accurate in terms of the control, at least in the big picture of like the relationship between the engineers and the astronauts at that yeah. point. But the movie still wants to hold up that big banner of. This is a movie about astronauts and pilots and the right stuff and competing in that pyramid of greatness, right? That we were talked about earlier. Yeah. And but it's not. But it's not. It's not actually about that. But, yeah. But but it kind of cloaks itself in all of that. Sure, because that's 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 what that's what resonates with you and you and me, right? It's it's, it's the human connection. It's the, it's the the guy in the seat making the dramatic decision to do whatever, right? But they that, don't make it. I know that yeah. that's not the reality of the situation. Yeah. It used to be. Yeah. Right. Um, and we, as things get, you know, more complicated than a single human being, more, more complicated than a single human being can understand. Like we, I need engineers to tell me what to do because I'm literally just a pilot at this point. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I'm just a pilot. I don't know how any of this shit works. <laughs> Like, I flip this switch and this thing happens. That's what I know. I don't understand the machinations behind all of that and the algorithm that said that this is the target that I need to hit or this is the angle that I need to be at to re-entry or re-enter yeah. into Earth's atmosphere or this is the, the anything, right? Yeah. Um, and and we, we continue to nut all those things down, put it into code and commoditize yeah. air power and, in this case, astronauts. Like, yeah. like, what is the the shuttle commander really doing? I think it's uh, fair to say that the whole 
the whole network is the spacecraft. I think that's important. The, the network as a whole, so mission control, the communications that are happening, and and then the the physical spacecraft, and the and, and then the astronauts. That truly is the whole spacecraft, uh, uh, similar to the MQ nine with our our network and our reach back and all these other things like the the. The spacecraft, as the movie likes to think about it, is is insolvent uh, without the the larger network of engineers and systems um, buttressing it. It's it's far larger than than people in a hurtling piece of machinery uh, can handle by themselves, and and that's really what's on display in a, in Apollo thirteen. Is even here we have basically in the seventies with the space program. The, the the model for commoditization that uh, has has come to to terrestrial air power through the MQ9 and the MQ1 uh, and is going to be the case for um, all air power going forward this 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 network that is far larger um, than a single individual can comprehend so when this movie got made 1995 yeah there was still enough of a bow wave from that like World War II, early air aviation, Vietnam, whatever you think, to what we talked about in, in earlier podcasts about air power stories, um, that still was driving like the, 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 the desire to express air power in that way. Yeah. While really telling a story about the, the rank commoditization of that power due to the complexity and the, the nature of the technology. Um, I think the, the, the wave of that, the residual wave of that mythology is, is really starting to fall off. Yeah. Right. It would be harder to authentically tell a story like that now, like, you know, have a movie about commoditized air power and then, you know, just pretend that it's awesome still. Yeah. It is a lot harder to do. It's like the bloom is off the rose a little bit with that. I think just like like we've been talking about, I think commoditization is here to stay, and I think it's more understood as such. That's why I that's why I think Apollo thirteen is a interesting as an air power movie is because it's a it's a movie about commoditization of of the of air power as a technology. Yeah, or, or at least the uh, lack of cachet from a pilot, or lack in this like case, the an astronaut. Human, even. The real human elements being a decisive factor, right? Yeah. Um, at least in terms of the piloting element, the piloting human, uh, and the, but still like wrapped up in that mythology. Um, so it kind of sits in that interesting spot where it's reaching back to try to like grab that glory for itself. Yeah. While in the sa- in the very same moment telling a story about what's going like the the new age of destroying yeah and not understanding and its not, own self and, and not understanding its own self so that's exactly that's yeah. why apollo 13 is very interesting to me so uh, that's why i wanted to talk about it yeah it lives in a transition period right yeah. yeah yeah which i mean we're in that transition period right now just a little deeper right um we talked to mike uh dr burns uh who's now in california and yeah his whole thing was that the RPA air powers transition like we're in a transition period right now between like you know armored knights and their F22s and their F16s and their and their whatever else or armored uh NASA astronauts getting ritualistically suited up right 
right? So we're, we're between that and like what the future is, is this networked kind of like persistent munition uh, type of thing that is all run out of like with network effects and like the ability to be out of band and, you know, some of the other, you know, little key phrases that uh, Dr. Burns used mm. and the RPA pilot as it exists now is nobody cares about you or me or Yogi. Nobody cares. You go to the gas station. Nobody's going to be like, oh, you fly drones? That's not their... They don't care about you in that moment. They care about the, the technology and the, the, and the capability because they, they could see... Nah, that's probably a, a stretch, right? They can't see where things are going. But all three of us here... Uh, today can see kind of where things are going yeah um and then we were just furthering the the role of computing and the role of you know the networks inside of this and i less and less need you know of one of the the great apes to be sitting in the seat to actuate the switches <laughs> you know what i mean because i've got these data links now and everything is great and i can start to run these things from further and further and further behind the lines and yeah. it, it it's it's interesting watching like the fact that we still have like f-16 pilots so they're already being like pushed aside by the f-35 and the f-22 pilots because the f-16 is not low observable right yeah. so they're the f-16 is starting to have the a-10 problem um, and the F-22 and the F-35 are going to slowly start to have the RPA problem, right? Where they just take off and shoot a missile and Yeah, land. yeah. Everything is just going to be done over a data link, a, you know, you know, a low probability of interceptor LPI data link somewhere, and shit's just going to happen. And there's yeah. going to be some nerd, an engineer maybe, back at an air operations center, Saying yes, blow that target up, boop, click. They're gonna click a button and man in the loop satisfied. The AI is gonna go out there and say, blow that thing up. Yeah. Right. And so the pilot is not gonna matter anymore. The F 16 pilot doesn't really matter that much anymore. They do currently, but their cachet is declining. Our cachet is already declining. And like as an a launch and recovery qualified dude, <laughs> I know this because ATLC is here. Yeah. And that shit is on point. Yeah. That is absolutely going to land airplanes works great. better than me. It's going to take off airplanes better than me. Well, maybe, but not maybe, better, maybe, maybe not better, better than, than maybe not better than Muff. Let's, maybe let's not better crazy. than me. Yeah, but right. that's better than that other guy we were talking about earlier. Though. Maybe better than some other guys, yeah. right? Um but it's going to lead to a lower incidence rate. Uh, maintenance is it's all going to be better and we're just going to commoditize and like we're going to program pilots out of a job. Yeah. Just as the engineers in Apollo 13 are like, like they're, they're like the, the next level back that really understands the system. And they, they just don't have the technology at the time to automate that process. So they need a monkey or a great ape rather uh, in the seat to flip the physical switch. Yeah. And it's, it's, I guess even in the 70s, right? Early 70s, we're in this transition period is when this thing started. And it's, that's interesting. Yeah. But I will say, though, like being on the team, like to have been on that mission control team or to have been those astronauts, there's like those moments of great compression, right? Where when you're 
under high time pressure, high stakes. Like, yeah, I don't give a fuck what the Grumman Lem was designed for. Like, we are full send. I don't know what it was designed to do. I don't know what it can do. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is the line from the movie. Yeah, but being like being in that compression, right, where you're doing something that has the ability to make you know everything in your life doesn't matter other than accomplishing this one thing and you're so invested in it right with all of your mental faculties like pouring into that huh those are the great moments that's what i love about it right it's given me it's given me moments of that that same kind of feeling this is like another observation from watching the movie right to to be so invested like with with so much on the line that that just nothing else in your life matters except for like what I'm doing in this exact moment. Yeah. When so you're, be, like, you're, when you're when you're doing a strike, right? But you're, yeah. So you're saying so, being a combat aviator. Yes. I don't know that's necessarily tied to RPAs, but well, you're you're, yeah, in, you're mean, in a moment where you're just zoomed in on this one particular problem set for the next thirty minutes. And it like is so important. Yes. And so overwhelming, well, not overwhelming, but like in terms of its importance, yeah. Like nothing matters. Like your whole spirit. You're not thinking being, about dinner. Yeah, you're your not whole thinking spirit about is nothing. Like completely devoted to that. Right. And it's like I don't really know much else that gives you that. Um, and I don't know when I was watching Apollo 13, like you know, in there and doing that, it's like reminding me of, you know, that's that's the drug that I want to take. That's like what, you know, in terms of the Air Force, right? Like why I want us to stay MQ9s and yeah, it's just being a part of that, you know. So a little bit of an aside there, but yeah, those those, those moments where yeah. literally nothing else matters. I am not thinking about anything else other than this tactical situation. the The words I'm saying to this guy on the ground, and the fact like getting this weapon on target on time, uh, yeah, uh, like as cleanly as possible. Right. That's yeah. the old, literally the only thing on my brain. Yeah, I don't. I can't even think of a adrenaline hit that's as right. near. That even comes close, like not wrestling, not anything in sports. Maybe, or, you know, approach it, but not yeah. even close. Dude, know? my first weapons employment, yeah, the adrenaline just like through the effing roof. That was the high point of adrenaline in my entire life. Yeah, you like, got like <laughs> two, you got two whole quarts of adrenaline just dumped into your blood. Yeah, like, instantly. Yeah, dude, it was three hours later when I finally got home, and I was like, "Hey, honey, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up! I gotta tell you." <laughs> <laughs> you know, this I have to get this out so I'm <laughs> yeah. not freaking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like those engineers were feeling that probably. Uh, and all the mission control was probably feeling like that when they're solving. Yeah, there's nothing else that they can think yeah. about. Um, and the astronauts too. So I don't really know where I was going with that other than to say there still might be, like, there still might be glory in it like on a personal level or like, you know, something that's really worth your time. But it's like, it's harder to express that with the commoditization to, to than it's ever been. Well, it just so. moves the, and the, that locus from the pilot yeah. to the, the guy that yeah. created the system and understands how the whole thing works. Right. We talked about this two yeah. episodes ago that like who, who is a, an, an airplane or a car or anything else more beautiful to, yeah, the like engineer, the guy, the engineer or the guy just like at the controls of the thing, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I would argue the engineer because they know how it works and they see the beauty in how this system interacts with that system and that, the, the balance there that is lost to the guy who's just at the controls. And I like that. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> 
I don't really know where that's going either. Well, that's but, why you wear your Ace 2 CUs. Yeah. So I, I don't need to be just the guy at the controls. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have an education from, you know, you know, university and stuff that, like, gives me some background knowledge on this platform and how these data links work and things like that that makes it more beautiful to me. That's why I stayed. Yeah. And, and, and that gets my rocks off from time to time, you know? Um, and I can imagine that that's how those engineers feel when they're telling these, you know, essentially these pilots, these rock stars, the rock stars of the Apollo missions, like, Hey man, I literally just need you to click that button. Okay. Yeah. Like just, just do what I say <laughs> because I know you don't know what your act, like all the cascading effects that that's going to have. Yeah. And we, and we like to put the, the guys whose life is actually at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this, this is why we celebrate these people because their lives are at risk. And this is why RPAs have such a hard time storytelling is because our lives aren't at risk. We are, we we're are a savage. We, we, we're a savage creature and we want blood. Yes. Yes. And we, and we enjoy like the, the human drama that is yeah. tied to being in this capsule or like in the F-16 that's over top yeah, of the enemy the whole, that might shoot Because the whole right? drama with the astronauts is like they're all in interpersonal bullshit. That's like primarily what's going on, like, and or just experiencing, like, we're being worried about their kids, right? But yeah, that's, that's that's really what's hit. That's really it in the movie, as far as the astronauts, like them squabbling. With Are they gonna make it home to their kids? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and but it's not like they're they're just they're just emotion delivery people, as far from like, from a director's point of view. <laughs> great way to put it, right? If the movie actually understood itself properly. Like, it would have been a movie about Gene Kranz and Mission Control, primarily. The astronauts, like, inverted their screen time, essentially. He just didn't have his book out soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean... No. Uh, Gene? Yeah. Gene Kranz, yeah. I mean, his book came out way later. But there are... Um, I think we're going to have, like, a occasionally we'll, we will step to movies like this that are centered around air power, specifically around Apollo 13. I think the the... The preceding movie that's the most relevant is the right stuff because that's really talking about the Mercury program and the yeah. direct handover from the jet age to the astronaut age, and then the movie that follows this, which less of I mean it's less clearly an air power movie, but it's taking a lot of uh, a lot of these questions at, on a little more directly is is of course Interstellar, as you've heard about before. You think? Yeah. You think you're sure it's not drones or uh, eye in the sky? Nope. So I think there's another <laughs> sequence re- unrelated to that, unrelated to the ones that I that kind of a uh, previous trilogy with with we could do on RPA movies. Uh, was it like Eye in the Sky? Yeah, we definitely need a survey. Of, yeah. So uh, what RPA are the what, movies? What, what are um, they? So you're looking at uh, Drones, which is a very much a B-rated movie. Hilarious. Okay. Um, okay. I love it. You've got uh, Eye in the Sky. Was it good, good, good kill. Good kill, absolute classic. Have to watch Good Kill. Um, we at least have to discuss Good Kill on this this podcast. Um, and then there was another one recently. Went to Netflix. It's like it wasn't behind enemy lines because that had Owen Wilson in it and those F-18s and Bosnia stuff. But it has something to do with like being behind enemy lines. And this guy's like, I have thirty five thousand hours and. You know, oh, the LT that goes and yeah. finds the like the, the N- nuclear bomb with like some robot thing some robot going on, dude. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. Uh, it's a yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like James. So. <laughs> it's like James Bond meets uh, 
I don't know, military movie. Uh, I don't even remember what the title of it is, but I'm pretty sure it was like, it was on Netflix. I don't even know if it went to theaters, but so there's at least four movies. Uh, a friend of mine uh, suggested we do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing, like sidebar. We just record ourselves watching this movie. Okay. All of these movies, and we release them as like another another thing okay. uh, on uh, uh, the Lost Link website, right? And not a terrible idea. So maybe maybe I mean, that I will like happen. It. Yeah, you guys can make some money <laughs> off of this. Put it on the uh, whatever that stuff is that podcasters use to make money off of their uh, their special episodes. No idea what you're talking about. I'm only on episode seven now of a, a of a podcast, so yeah. you know <laughs> we'll learn. Uh, well, this is a nonprofit too, so <laughs> yeah, well, not even nonprofit. It's zero profit. So. Yeah, zero profit. Um, just just for the, the negative laughs. negative profit. Yeah, we're in it for the laughs. All right, <laughs> um, but, but the point being, uh, we will from time to time break. You know, look to do something a little more uh, centered around you know, a movie or something like this to, to, to branch into RPA topics, you know, some, maybe so, somewhat tightly or loosely depending, yeah, yeah. but, um, what is it? Oh, that movie is called outside the wire. Okay. Okay. That sounds like an army term to me, uh, Yeah, <laughs> but there's a, they're talking about outside like the wires and like the data link. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe that's uh, what they're talking about. It, yeah, it's not very much an RPA movie. It's just this RPA dr- driver or okay. pilot of sorts that has thirty five thousand hours as a first lieutenant. So you want to know the? <laughs> you, have you seen the Reaper driver patch or the Reaper patch yeah. that all students get when they graduate? Sure. All right. So that is derived from like every other platform has the you know Talon driver if yeah. you're a T thirty eight dude or a yeah. Viper driver, all that fun stuff, right? And the seventeenth attack squadron. Uh, reconnaissance I hate, squadron. I hate that term, driver. Yeah, yeah. Settle down. We'll get there. Um, so there was in 2015. So the I first settled move. The first half of 2015, they talked about like we need to have. So this was uh, the current OG. Um, he was squadron commander 29th, and he wanted this patch, right? Okay. Like needed a thing for students uh, when they graduate here. And there was this big consternation about Reaper driver, and all the sensor operators were like, "Well, I don't drive it." I'm not a Reaper driver. It's like, oh, so like there's just a lot of consternation about what should we put on this patch? The reality of the situation, this is a Muff Barber innovation, is that the goal of the patch is what? To sim- like to tell everybody else who sees it what airplane you're associated with. Yeah. So let's just make it say Reaper. It doesn't need to say driver. Who cares? It just needs to convey what airplane that you are associated with so that everybody else can can look at it and be like, oh, that guy's an MQ-9 guy. Whether he's a sensor operator or a, or a pilot. And, uh, this is just like Muff Barber patting himself on the back. Yeah, no, I know. That's a me innovation. <laughs> well, but You're like, yeah, I know. That's why I just let you roll with it and I'm going to edit it out later. No. <laughs> no, I won't. But I am going to say... Uh, is, is that an innovation based on our uh, innovation podcast? No, it's it's derivative work. I got a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Is that all we have to say uh, about Apollo thirteen? Any last uh, closing comments there, Dollar? Any quotes? Anything? Anything we didn't cover? Your favorite line from the movie, Dollar? No, I don't think so. I think 
I think honestly, going back to it, I think my favorite line. Let's see if I can find it, but I think the one about uh, I don't know if it's the. It's not really a line. It's when they pull their pull their medical stuff off and oh, pretty yeah. much say "fuck you" to the medical guys. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's my favorite. I think part. Sure. Um, but naturally, but you, you resonate with that because about. it's like telling everybody, so, "No, I got it." Yeah, it's yeah. the it's it's the mustache of their you know their <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think my favorite part it's. It's either when Gene Kranz is like, let's uh, let's work the problem, people, or it's when I, I. But like, I think it's really when they first go like after their initial like, okay, everything's fucked. Like, but then we've got them in the lem, we've got the oxygen figured out, and they're trying to figure out the trajectory, right? And they they take. I think I brought this up a bit, but they go into the conference room and everyone's squabbling. He like tries to turn on the projector and it like turns on and fritzes out. Yeah, and he's just like. God damn it! And like throws it away, and then like all the little turkeys are like, "Well, we'll have to get that fixed next time." And he's like, "I don't care." And he just like gets out his pens. He's like, "Big circle, little circle for the moon and the planet." He's like, "We're fucking here. We need to get here. This is where you're telling me we can get them. Let's this not good enough, right?" <laughs> yeah, just, like just pens to the board, whack whack whack. Oh, I love that scene. I fucking love yeah. that. Scene. Well. Yeah. chalk to a chalkboard at the uh, you know oh it was it was, it was, it <laughs> yeah. was uh, no whiteboards no markers yet yeah it was a uh, it was a green chalkboard yep. yeah with uh with chalk you're right yeah um going back to the uh, yeah going back to the quote though um i did have one written down i think it was at the beginning of the movie um when when jim levels talking about space travel and getting to the moon and and just yeah. all of that stuff and somebody says something about it being miraculous or whatever and uh, he says, it wasn't a miracle. We just decided to go. Yeah. That, that was pretty, I don't know, big-brained and, and yeah. just kind of. So, except the engineers decided to go. Pretty much, yes. pretty much yeah. like all great advances, right, are just somebody saying, no, I or we can make this happen. And you yeah. just put your fucking nose to the grindstone and you grind it out. And next thing you know, you're flying a remote control airplane on the other side of the world or you're going to the moon or you're. You're doing Mach 3 or you're doing 250 miles an hour in a Bugatti or whatever it is, right? So you, somebody just has the the thought that, no, this is going to happen. And I'm going to yeah, make that, it happen. And that little bit of the chip on the shoulder to, yeah. to want a bucket, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I was interested to see, like, how you guys would pull this off because I wasn't convinced that uh, this was an... an... <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> just just spilled a, a large cup of water now um, but i was curious length. to see how like you guys would uh bring this together as like an air power movie because apollo 13 on first first glance and admittedly i have not seen that movie in a very long time was not it's not an air power movie to me you know what i mean it's it's a story of engineers and it's a story of everything else but you you flipped it you didn't exactly like convey that early on when we were talking about this this was going to be a it's not air power it's, it's and i won't say anti-air power but it is it's right in it's line the with the state of air power yeah the state of air power and how we're slowly transitioning like fighter like just pilots in general inside of the air force are experiencing the same thing that astronauts are uh may have already felt you know I mean? yeah. and that's cool so i thought i thought you uh did a good job bringing that around um, Always looking for your approbation. Ha. Ha. Um, awesome. Uh, I think we've said what we need. What needs to be said. Uh, take from there, Yogi. You might as well take us out. See ya.
Don't know where. Don't know where.